Welcome to A Little Bit Radical, a business podcast from Standing on Giants. I'm Rob, your host. Join me as I meet people and organisations who are doing things differently, challenging the status quo and yes, might just be a little bit radical. How do you transform a 150-year-old brewery into a data-led company ready to thrive in today's world? Well, you might hire someone like my guest today. Elizabeth Oster is Director of Data Management for the Heineken Company. Her illustrious career has included stints at Barclays, Dunhumby, McKinsey, L'Oreal and P&G. She's a visiting fellow at Cambridge Judge Business School and also advises a number of exciting startups too. Elizabeth, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Rob. And what a fantastic opportunity uh, to spend a few minutes, a few uh, hours perhaps with you. Uh, And this is a great initiative. I think I I was really interested and curious about this fantastic initiative to start to talk about, you know, what does it take (laughs) to get to the next level? So thanks a lot for having me today. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for being so excited. That's, That's wonderful. And you're right. I think that is the crux of what we'll be talking about today. How do you bring in a little bit of radical thinking, maybe some little bit radical behaviors in your work to get to the next level? That's really exciting. So we're going to get into your work in due course, but we always start with digging a bit deeper into you and getting to know you. So if you are a little bit radical, which we know you are because you're a guest on this podcast, what do you think in your early life set you up for that? I don't think that I had any uh, particular events or or thing that I can point to. And actually quite the opposite. I think I had a rather boring early life uh, with no particular events um, of any kind. But that actually perhaps was the motivation to always seek something, a different dimension, something more interesting, look at things from a different perspective. Yeah, so that's, I, I can't really point to, to anything specific that, that made me look always for taking a different perspective and looking what, what was beyond the obvious. Uh, but that's, that's per se, perhaps, is also maybe a good, good foundation in terms of not too many shocks and, you know, having the opportunity to also, with calmness and, and without any fear, sort of look at other things and exploring things so but thanks for the question it really made me think (laughs) absolutely absolutely I can empathize with that actually that's how I feel about my own um, early life really quite boring which made me determined to create some excitement for myself do you (laughs) do identify with that absolutely (laughs) absolutely and I I remember as a child I was born in Italy so I was looking at, at the mountains out of my window and I kept really wondering what's behind those mountains. And I always had the, the sense and the feeling that there must have been an incredible world uh, full of excitement and opportunities just <laughs> beyond those mountains. And it really made me very interested on, on, uh, on traveling and, and also knowing different cultures, understanding other point of views. That's interesting. So you feel like you've always had that curiosity. Did you ever, did you ever make that leap over the mountains? Did you ever travel over those mountains? I finally managed, yes, <laughs> when I was 18. <laughs> the first thing I did was uh, to take uh, interrail and start to travel by train to Europe and <laughs> see what was indeed what was uh, laying behind. Fantastic. I think that works very well as a literal symbol and a metaphorical one as well. Moving into your, your adult life and where you are now, do you feel like you've become more radical or, or less radical? Has there been a change? And what do you think has been behind that? Well, first of all, I never seen myself as radical. So that's uh, 
really important. I, and again, so I really see myself as quite plain vanilla and boring. But I think what, what I see is that the number of challenges that we're facing makes us bolder. So that there is a need to become much bolder and much more curious in exploring different opportunities just because we are in an ever-increasing volatile environment from one end. And, and at the same time, also, we have much more opportunities than we never had before. So the ground for exploration is there. And, and that also perhaps leads to infinite curiosity, right? In terms of, you know, what if, <laughs> you know, what would happen? And perhaps, you know, why, you know, sort of some people are, you know, can, can do so much and, and they have such great ideas. Uh, and what would it take to, to, to go there? So I think there is that theme of, okay, what is there beyond, you know, <laughs> what is the art of the possible? And how that makes sense and resonates with you. Of course, yeah. Well, I love the art of the possible. And I actually think you framed it really nicely, actually, where more challenges, or at least more challenges that we're aware of, I would say, and more opportunity. So you don't think of yourself as particularly radical. By the way, we find that not many people on this podcast do consider themselves. It often just feels like, common sense but you just with your curiosity you've probably just taken those opportunities when they've come your way yeah so absolutely so I don't think that um, I see myself as a, a radical by design shall we say or uh, by point of view so I, I don't strive to be to have a you know, specific strong uh, point of views or, or presence like like you might see other people are very uh, determinate and also very extremely confident and, and, and boastful about a certain points of view. I definitely don't have that. But I think for me, it's, it's really more really uh, the, the curiosity of finding solutions, but also finding new opportunities. And it's interesting because, you know, sort of we see a world in which from one, or at least we've been through a stage in which that boldness was, uh, was seen as a very important trait and, and very positive, right? So we're coming from, you know, extremely overpowering leaders, I would say. And therefore, kind of being quite quiet, <laughs> it was perhaps uh, definitely a sign of dissonance, of difference. I think, however, we may be turning the corner, right? Because we, we, we had quite a lot of that kind of overpower, maybe overconfidence in, in certain statements, solutions, or point of views. And I think now we're becoming a bit more uh, cautious um, and a bit more balanced collectively as a society, in the acceptance of, of certain point of views. So we're going to move on to your, your professional life now. And, and so far, I think we're picking up that you're a very humble individual. You know, don't think of yourself as particularly uh, radical, but certainly you've got a huge curiosity. I'm looking forward to our listeners hearing about some of the work projects that you are, uh, have been involved with over the years, because I think then your little bit radical nature might come to the fore here. So I'd love for you to talk about an example of where you brought some radical thinking to your work. I, I know, for example, you were involved in big mobile transformation at Barclays, perhaps that. But can you think of an example of, of where thinking differently was the key to your success? Yes, it's, uh, thanks for um, pointing out the, the example of Barclays. And if we maybe just go back to that for a minute. So at the time, there was quite a lot of uh, mobile transformation. Of course, mobile phones and iPhones were becoming uh, quite prevalent in the ways that consumers and we all as a society would interact with each other. So again, so that was, you know, starting again from a curiosity point of view, you know, 
what are the you know how people feel about using uh, those fantastic new devices in all sorts of different ways and what is the opportunity for a very traditional bank the, the way that Barclays was and it's not any longer to start to look into that opportunity but again it was really listening to consumers in that, that kind of, in that predicament and just looking at how they were interacting particularly the new generations how they were leveraging this set of new capabilities right and then you know sort of what, what doesn't uh, unfold for us right i think that's again it's always there it's always in front of us because uh, there is always a future in front of us right <laughs> there is always something that is evolving so that can have multiple connotation of us starting to look okay but what, what's ahead you know what's coming next and therefore what does it mean for us at the same time, also, how do we need to manage that, right? In some cases, you also might have might see things that uh, one needs to de risk against, right? So, in, also, uh, in some cases, it's opportunities, in some cases, also maybe prevention and protection, right? And it's interesting how these two sides of the coin sometimes are seen as completely opposite, but they could coexist <laughs> because, you know, they are coexisting that view of looking what's ahead and therefore what does it mean for us and, and therefore how we need to leverage that or protect ourselves against that, right? So that's uh, a two-side coin. Of course, yeah. I think I'm going to probe you a bit on that other side of the coin some more now that you've brought it up. So maybe again with this mobile transformation example at Barclays, did you face opposition? And how did you overcome that, if so? Yeah, so first of all, of course, it was a, a, a team of people, right? So, it, it, you know, I wouldn't like to give the impression it was a single-handedly, you know, sort of spearheading this. But I was just at the beginning of the insights, you know, what, what would it mean for consumers to do that? And the need on consumers. So the fact that it was clear from looking at consumers' uh, standpoint that this was become, it would become bigger and bigger. And that perhaps brings another dimension which is, again, sort of consumer first, always, you know, making sure that one has a target, the, the, the need of the consumers. And it seems quite commonplace now because everyone talks about that. But then from there to actually doing it and acting upon it, acting upon it that's, that's always difficult. And you probably know quite a lot about that, Rob, because you, you have, you know, sort of been one of the pioneers and I always had an incredible respect for you and the amazing work that you've done in putting the consumer at the center and, you know, truly doing that. And then at the beginning, was it difficult? Well, I think it's it's normally people don't see, you know, when you look ahead, not everyone has got the same interest in looking beyond the now. And also, in all fairness, we have all pressures to look at the next day, the next week, the next quarter, and also financial pressures and, and short financial cycles, etc. So I think sometimes it's really difficult for people to even contemplate lifting the attention from the here and now to, you know, what's coming next. But there are rewards in doing so. <laughs> How do you bring people along with you when you are one of those people that is seeing beyond the horizon further than the others are seeing? It starts with the understanding of having a diverse point of view. And, and it starts with the acceptance that, of course, it, it, you know, the others are seeing things in, with a different lens and, and accepting that, right? Because I, I see that sometimes people tire of, uh, particularly radical leaders may tire of that constant <laughs> dissonance uh, versus uh, maybe colleagues or uh, business partners that are too short-sighted. So it starts with, you know, setting that is, that is normal, shall we say. So we need to, something we need to deal with. 
and and then it, it's it's really a matter of finding the anchor point of opening the discussion that would lead to this unlocking of new perspectives, right? So, but that's a, a, a journey, and and sometimes these journeys can be faster than others. So it's hard to predict when sometimes you know sort of those set of opportunities would would unlock, but they generally will. So it's having that faith and confidence and patience sometimes, <laughs> you know, eventually that, that new point of view will be shared, but it, it takes time. And, and sometimes that concept of it takes time, again, is not aligned to our society that looks for fast, fast turnarounds, right? We, we think everything can be super fast, but actually changing a human perspective, it takes quite a long time uh, in, in any direction, right? And then when it changes, then, you know, things start to go quite fast. But it's almost like an S-curve, right? You will be stable, 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 and nothing happens, nothing happens. And then at some point, you know, so the things start to, uh, to, to align. But at the same time, having that dialogue with, with you know, constant dialogue and openness and, and realizing that also when you look at the future, you, you can't have certainty. Of course, you can see things. And it's also good to have challenges and because, you know, sometimes it's, you know, far away. There are bets. You don't know whether those bets are going to realize themselves or not. So having definitely those maybe a different point of view, maybe a more cautious point of view is, is also a very useful exchange in shaping a way forward. Great. So practicing your patience and taking one step at a time, bringing in a diverse range of opinions and accepting that those are, those are valid. And I was really interested by what you said about the anchor point and finding the anchor point for opening up the discussion, opening up people's perspectives. Can you think of an example where you've anchored a conversation in a way that you were really happy with and suddenly it, it led to um, a real change in uh, people's behavior or perception? One is numbers and the other is emotions. Uh, and, and the emotions is based on sharing experiences with consumer customers uh, that make it real. Uh, but let's stay with numbers. So we are often misusing numbers. And it's difficult to find the one number that tells a story. But that's often the, the one number that we need to look for. Because whenever we, you know, sort of we are you know, throwing too many things, it's always too complicated. But you know, the art of that one number, that behind that one number, there's a huge <laughs> uh, story and, and gets people's attention. I think that's the, the, the main uh, and most important thing to do. Although, you know, coming with that is super difficult. And then the second point, it's about immersing in the in the customer life, in, in the consumer life, and, and, and sort of and particularly on those who are really clearly looking at, at different things, have got different needs, that they are much more challenging, right? So I think it's a matter of really aligning those more rational side with the more emotional side of experiencing. And those two things together do wonders in terms of opening up people to say, okay, we look at work in a certain way, but you know there are definitely other things that are super important to consider. And let me come back perhaps to the, the one number. And we are just coming out of COVID and it's probably all very recent for us, you know, that the one number that everyone was looking at every day so it was the number of new infections, right? And, and is that the right number? <laughs> is that a meaningful number? It doesn't matter. <laughs> that was the, the one number that was dictating our lives, so almost like for, for, for two years, right? And, and I think that's, you know, 
it, it's a terrible equivalent because, of course, we've been through all this dramatic phase. But still, it all boils down to having something that can anchor a new perspective, something that is changing, something that is uh, evolving, uh, and then bringing attention to that, that metric, that measurement that also evolves very rapidly and therefore requires attention. I think once there is that articulation, then things can, <laughs> can unlock quite, quite, uh, quite easily. And then, as I said, at the same time, it's also the, the more human experience, the emotional side of really leaving what perspectives from other people's point of views that actually are consuming our products. And, and therefore, that, that can change quite a lot of perspective as well. Absolutely. I love that, the idea of ultimately the balance of the rational and the emotional. And I think we are always uh, naturally stronger at one or the other. And so perhaps a key to bringing people with you is finding that balance within yourself, building in the area where you're not so strong. For me, it's definitely the numbers, for example. You won't be surprised. I quite like the emotions and the and the storytelling. Your the way you talked about the one number, I think, is so powerful. And it, it, a couple of examples sprung to mind. I think the COVID one is a great one, but also from in a marketing and brand world, one of the most lauded campaigns of the last two decades was the the Dove uh, Real Beauty campaign. And their one number, I can't remember it exactly, but it was something like fifty seven percent. So it was like the majority of women don't think they're beautiful. It might even have been higher than 57%. That was their one number that they've kind of built this whole campaign around. I suppose taking taking a number, yielding a real insight, and then using your emotional intelligence to build a story around that as well. And if you think of the tech world, they've been growing so much because they've been so disciplined about one number and one number only, which was the number of users, right? So they've been um, really focused on growing the user base. And, and sort of that is also a very powerful example on how all of a sudden we had these tech giants that single-handedly were just focusing on increasing the user base. Now, it's interesting also to consider that, there are, of course, in, in this um, radical journey, there are different phases, right? So it, you know, one thing is make sure that there is followership and, and sort of there is this new way of doing things where there is an intrapreneurship within a company. Or as a new startup, of course, things are moving and therefore this single-handedly focus on one number is critical. It's also important to realize, however, that once things are much more established, once there is a, a big company, then one number is not sufficient any longer. And I think it's, it's that, that sense of, okay, when, when things are big and of a large scale, then you need to start to look at much more balanced scorecard and make sure that you're looking at certain things in, as well as, you know, sort of others um, in, in a strong balance, which I think perhaps a lot of tech companies that have been growing so fast haven't been really able to mature to that point uh, because they kept, you know, sort of what made them successful. It's also to say that everything evolves, right? And whatever got you there maybe doesn't get you to the next stage. So just reflecting to what is happening now in the tech world where, you know, after all this big promises and hopes and uh, opportunities. Now it looks like we are in the tech winter. I saw this phrase just a couple of days ago. I don't really like it. We're in the tech winter because, you know, it's always beyond tech. You know, there's going to be something else. You know, when you need to bring that change, it's, it's really having that patience, but at the same time also grounding in what consumers and customers want. And at the same time, how we can describe things in a way that it's easy to measure and, and easy to engage. 
absolutely and the acceptance that the that the one number might change that it might turn into multiple numbers multiple stories multiple insights so being agile seems incredibly important as well would you say absolutely so i'd like to move on to um what you're doing at the moment at at heineken if that's okay you're leading a big data team at what is a kind of very established company established brewery beer people sounds like a really fun place to work what are you focused on at the moment what are your big challenges and where have you um, been thinking a bit differently as an organization would you say first of all Heineken is a fantastic company and I'm really blessed and I think it's the only company I work so far where enjoyment of life is a key value and I'm, I feel blessed <laughs> because it's very uh, it's unusual to uh, to make sure that you know you have enjoyment as one of the key values I think within the company there's a terrific sense of innovation, a terrific appetite uh, to explore new things. So that is fantastic. Uh, there is a strong entrepreneurship within the company, uh, which is great. I think obviously from a data perspective, we've been looking at making sure that we can scale things quickly. And in order to scale things quickly, we need to do things that are perhaps a bit more boring, which is you know, sort of making sure that we are all singing <laughs> from the same hymn sheet. And we are all considering when we are creating data, not only our own immediate needs, but you know, the one of the company. And you know, that journey of making sure that people feel that whatever they do also has an impact on everyone else. I think that's the journey in which uh, we are in. And I think at the same time, we had quite a lot of dispersed communities and bringing those communities together, I think is critical and important because then, so there is then a terrific energy that will help us to find new ways to shape the future. And I think we've been fortunate enough to have your support in in this journey because I I do truly believe that data is huge, technical skills are required, but is first and foremost um, all about the culture and the people. And the ideas that we can come up together in terms of how to leverage these incredible technologies that are becoming commonplace anyway, but you know how we can actually leverage data. You know what is our imagination, and also what are the, our collective wisdom to move forward. So I think in that I'm uh, you know super excited about the journey that we're going together. Fantastic. Well, thank you for the shout out. Yeah, full full disclosure. Elizabeth is a client of um, of ours and um, standing on giants as you will have picked up already you're referring there to your teams as communities which i think is really interesting what about the word community and the way that that perhaps makes you feel about the teams want the teams to perform set the you know, set the goals of the teams can you talk to us about about that does it have an impact in that in that sense yeah maybe let's um perhaps uh, take one step back um so heineken has uh, grown through mergers and acquisition, and operates in 85 countries. And and some countries are uh, really big in terms of our operations, and at the same time, some countries are quite small. So you can imagine that in many cases, we would have data professionals that are alone. Maybe it's the only person who's doing data uh, in in the whole operating company. So some of the things we did, uh, of course, you can imagine data, but it was a survey. So what what were the feelings of people in, in working in data across the company. And it was interesting because that theme of loneliness, I'm, I'm alone. Um, 
I'm just here every day fighting the fight and not, you know, and that's really difficult. So that's really where this whole idea of community started. It's okay, actually, we're operating in so many diverse uh, countries in whilst, uh, of course, we have breweries and there, there are strong communities because uh, in, in every country there is a strong uh, population in, in our colleagues that actually is brewing. When it comes to data, in many cases, we have people that are uh, doing that by themselves. And so we just felt that there would be a huge, huge value in anchoring the day-to-day of those colleagues and making them feel part of a larger community that has got the same jobs, has got the same challenges. And also it would make their daily life much more enjoyable, I guess, which is exactly what is happening in one of the communities that we've set up. So I think there is a huge value in my view to, to really go back to the fundamentals and making sure that we offer the tools to have a meaningful and an enjoyment in the day-to-day. And that comes when one doesn't feel alone. And I think that's, you know, for me, that maybe seems very basic, but it's a really important part of the community, uh, you know, what we want to achieve. The other thing is that we have a lot of, you know, big challenges, uh, which many other companies are facing. Of course, we need to have incredible data quality. We need to deploy a number of uh, very challenging but an exciting global programs. So the sharing of experience and also best practices and ideas on how we can go about things, uh, I think that's another thing that will enable us to go much faster versus the past. Um, and it really is it's tapping into all these ideas. And, and often, I think in data, we think about the what, so we think about, okay, so what is it we, we need to do? What is the next technology? What is the next thing that we're going to do? But actually, many, in many, many cases, the how. How we're going to do that? You know, how we scale? How we go faster? How we take that idea and, and, and we scale quickly? So I'm very focused on the how. Uh, so and, and how we can create meaningful experiences and yet at the same time, uh, going much faster. I think that's a fantastic example. Well, several, several examples in there of how you have used your little bit radical uh, nature a little bit radical thinking you know questioning the how how are we going to do this and using something that's perhaps not not uh, the status quo you know i.e deploy, deploying communities for your teams i also think what's a, a really fascinating insight from you there was when you were talking about loneliness and the feedback from the team that they were feeling alone we know that loneliness is a big societal challenge do you think that it, it, it does fall within the remit of responsible employers to help their staff feel together and to not feel alone? I listened to a podcast a while back from Ezra Klein, and I found it so interesting because it was reflecting on this trend in which employers are becoming more and more important to people's daily lives. And that was certainly the case during COVID, in which Aside from employers, in many cases, there was no lifeline outside. And, uh, and, and employers were almost like all of a sudden having to also think about, you know, how we keep uh, people morale high, how we keep mental health high in our organization, which was, uh, for many people was, of course, new, it was a new journey, right? But I think that de facto in, in a crummy society, I think 
corporations and enterprises are becoming more important. I was just listening today to um, a webinar from Edelman, and Edelman does the trust barometer. They were reflecting on the fact that, so for many, many years, people trusted mostly NGOs, and then there were, in some cases, governments, and there were corporations and enterprises, etc. right? So that there was almost like a sliding scale, in which enterprises were never really at the top of the trust. But now things have changed completely and, and corporations, enterprises, companies are the number one trusted entity by people. And, and NGOs actually have, have been sliding down and definitely government have been sliding down quite a lot. And they are now the least trusted. They were also, of course, talking about media. As you can imagine, they were very much trusted a while back and now they're absolutely not trusted uh, given all the fake news, etc. But it's, um, it's really kind of back to your question. It's interesting that companies have taken a different role also in ensuring that there are ways of working that fulfill uh, people's mental health, they fulfill their needs of work-life balance, they fulfill also much more sense of meaning uh, in society, which definitely wasn't the case I don't know, 10 years back or 20 years back. So I think that's um, indeed a big, uh, big society trend. Fascinating. Don't think I'd, I'd heard that, that, that uh, companies are now generally more trusted than NGOs and governments. I can quite believe that uh, with the governments, certainly in the, in the UK, but we won't go there. So this brings us nicely, actually, onto our, onto our last section of the podcast, which is about the little bit radical world. And taking taking us out of the day to day and the professional our professional lives, what change would you like to see in the world at large? Well, we have so many big issues nowadays, and of course, I would immediately hope for world peace as soon as possible, and I will immediately hope for a clear stance for climate change and, and improvement because they are really big topics, um, and it's. Uh, it's sad that although majority really cares deeply about these issues, uh, it seems that somehow the outcomes are not necessarily following what the majority wants and, and believes. So I think that's uh, you know sort of a bit of a difficult time, I think, for, for many of us. There is incredible anxiety, I think, particularly in Europe. I must say that in other perhaps parts of the world, I see much less so. Plus, our colleagues in Asia, in Asia are less... Yeah, so I think they're less worried, definitely Latin American, they're less worried than, than we are. But I think particularly in Europe, I think we're facing a number of even sentiment, you know, so the sentiment is not the same it used to be just a few years back. So where do we go from there? Well, I think we, we need to take, of course, continue on the on the fight, if you will, particularly for climate change, continue in, you know, sort of making sure that we fight for peace and justice. Uh, but I think at the same time, in the companies, sort of every day, we, we can play our part, right? And it's fantastic to see how, for instance, the sustainability agenda is engaging so many different people. So we just had last week a big gathering at Heineken here in Amsterdam on sustainability. And it was incredible how many people came to that, to that gathering, literally. So how many people have the willingness to contribute and participate? And I say sort of, Sadly, perhaps the outcomes collectively of this multitude of people that are really working hard to make it happen are, are not there yet. But I, you know, I really have a positive outlook. I think that at some point we will collectively achieve something very meaningful. And, and of course, in all of that, it's, it's 
important. Everyone's job has a contribution, right? I think it's interesting how even perhaps in many cases we feel powerless. Actually, that's not the case. I think it's important that we're not just uh, giving up, but we continue to do our bit, you know, whatever it is that we can, so that we can see a different opportunity, a different future uh, shaping ahead of us. That's interesting how you just finished talking about opportunity. And I'm thinking about what you've said so far, anchoring in the one number and anchoring in the emotion. I think climate change is a really interesting one where probably we've got numbers fatigue, bit of feeling overwhelmed. And perhaps I'm thinking out loud here, perhaps it does need to be reframed and perhaps the opportunity is where where to anchor i feel like that would go down better who's like if you make these these changes towards saving the planet your life is actually going to improve not giving up something we don't like giving up things as human beings do we (laughs) no but you're absolutely right and i think it is true that we have a bit of crisis fatigue right we are coming out of covid and there is climate change and now there is a war on our doorstep so I think we would like all to <laughs> sort of start to think in a much more positive frame, right? And say, okay, <laughs> we have exciting things to go and do, right? And, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I'm not sure what, what the, the solution is, but definitely starting to measure the positive rather than the negative uh, or the progress in, in, in a meaningful way that could be quite exciting. And I know there are lots of fantastic initiatives like the Earthshock, which I thought it was... Uh, a great idea because we need more of those type of things, right? You know, how we can fund innovation for things that are meaningful and, and continue on this path, right? So we'll see whether all the tech winter with all the ta- talent that is now not, not absorbed any longer by these tech giants, whether we can put them a good use in, uh, in solving for these big uh, society problems. That would be good, wouldn't it? Yeah, if everyone who, all that talent has been let go from Twitter, etc gets channeled into solving these challenges. I'm going to give a very crude example of what we were just talking about, about framing as opportunities. So I'm a, I'm a vegan. That's come up a couple of times on this podcast already. And obviously done a lot of research around veganism. One of the things that I really enjoy about my veganism is, is that when you look at the data, if you go vegan for, I believe the stat is, if you go vegan for one month, you make more impact than if you recycled for your whole lifetime. So when I don't want to get up early and put the recycling out, I think, doesn't matter. I'm vegan. I've already made way more impact than that. <laughs> Here we go. No, but I, I love that because uh, it, I absolutely love it. And it's I'm also a data-driven, right? Uh, this is, yeah. <laughs> so you're much more informed about the one what number. really matters. <laughs> absolutely. And you're absolutely right. Sometimes we have way too many things and it, it, it's confusing. It's good to have one... <laughs> yeah we can't we can't care about everything that is the problem we cannot it's i think it's just biologically impossible so i think what's really still resonating is that idea of anchoring and the focus there and pairing the data with the with the emotional decision that also feels very relevant whatever challenge you're facing whatever little bit radical idea you want to bring forward my final question elizabeth is always the same so what advice would you give to someone listening to this podcast who has an idea that's a little bit radical that they want to bring to their work or the world or their family or wherever what advice would you give them well the first is please go for it (laughs) 
go for it. <laughs> with passion, with energy, uh, with trust and patience. <laughs> because uh, the worst thing that can happen is that we have an idea, we don't really see the full potential of the idea. And sometimes maybe we're just uh, too intimidated by the, maybe the, we already know that there is a natural resistance, maybe it just becomes too hard. So we shouldn't really be worried about any of that and just go for it and enjoy the journey uh, because in that journey so that there is going to be quite quite a lot of, of discovery and uh, and it's also then of course the more people are involved in that idea then the more that idea becomes better grows uh, becomes much more faceted and, and interesting so go with your idea get followership <laughs> and then of course get the one number <laughs> and the emotional uh, buy-in uh, that idea requires elizabeth thank you so much for joining us today and i'll speak to you again soon thank you for listening to this podcast if you enjoyed it please follow us on your podcast platform If you'd like to appear on A Little Bit Radical or have an idea of someone we should speak to, please email podcast at standingongiants.com or get in touch with me on LinkedIn. You can search Rob Fawkes or search Standing on Giants and you'll find me there. Thank you very much and speak to you next time. (laughs) 